Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Posh Core Podcast with Alan and Sakura. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so, were you? Did you watch some of those uh, Star Trek episodes that I sent you? I watched the first part of the second movie. For me, for for someone who's not super into Star Trek, admittedly, I as soon as I was reading it and thought about it, like for a quick second, I was like, "Oh, yeah, this it's is exactly. pretty. This is pretty darn close to." almost anything America gets involved yeah. in, but especially Peace Corps, yeah, I guess, yeah. given the, the foreign lands that they send us to. Yeah. Um, As you may have guessed, today's episode is about all the ways in which Peace Corps is similar to Star Trek. This is from a volunteer who was serving in Nepal during the earthquake. Strangely, I was one of the few like Star Trek nerds in my group. I was a little amiss, uh, confused by that, because I thought more people would have been inspired by Star Trek to go into Peace Corps. Because if you think about it, they're kind of similar. Like, you know, the Enterprise's mission was to, like, seek out new life and new planets and science-based mission. And Peace Corps is kind of the only thing you're going to get that's close to that. She's recently come back to the United States, um, and we'll hear a little bit more from her later. Um, both about what it was like to be in Nepal during the earthquake and also her motivations for joining Peace Corps. So there are a lot of ways in which Peace Corps is similar to Star Trek. Um, but one of the most important from my point of view is what's called the Prime Directive. The Prime Directive, do you remember the Prime Directive from the movie? I took notes. <laughs> um, so from my note-taking, and forgive me, Star Trekky people out there, that's probably, that sounds like mean. I don't know, <laughs> Trekkies? I don't know, what that, are you? That is the Whatever. Um, that non-interference with the internal development of alien civilizations. Right. Which is interesting because in Peace Corps, it's all about integration. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it's almost like it's almost we're going right against it. True, that is that is like the first thing that comes to your mind is oh, we're all about cultural interference. Mm -hmm. However, Peace Corps is most definitely not about political interference. Yes. So this is from the Peace Corps handbook. The Peace Corps' credibility and hence its ability to perform its mission is contingent upon not becoming identified with controversial or political issues of local interest or local political issues or movements. Therefore, volunteers must avoid becoming involved in the political affairs of their host country. So the Prime Directive is a non-interference directive, and the Peace Corps Handbook has its own non-interference directive. Yeah. So if you look at it in that respect, um, it is kind of similar. Actually, the first uh, section of today's podcast is the story of a volunteer who became a part of the political structure in his village. Um, it opened up a lot of new opportunities because he gathered a lot more influence, but it also created a whole host of new problems. Today's episode is Federation. <laughs> Both times I went to Malawi, it was to visit my friend Jake. He and I were both Peace Corps volunteers in Lithuania. We worked there for two years as high school English teachers. When our service was finished, I went to Los Angeles for film school, and Jake went home to New Jersey. He was home for a year when he decided to go back into the Peace Corps for a second period of service. This time they sent him to a tiny village in northern Malawi called Zolokete. I went to visit him during his first year in Zolokere. He was a model volunteer working with women's groups, a local boys club, and he was just starting a relationship with a local soccer team. 
The team needed funds for new uniforms and cleats. So together with Jake, they broke ground and started a business growing and selling fresh vegetables. When I went back to the village 18 months later, Jake was in his third and final year as a Peace Corps volunteer in Malawi. While I was gone, he'd become an important member of the soccer team, which was called the Tony Bombers. Almost all of his closest friends in the village were either players or supporters of the team. Their garden project was a big success, and for the first time ever, the team had funding to buy new uniforms and cleats. The project bonded Jake to the group. They called him the sponsor. He'd also started the biggest project of his entire career. He was building a new elementary school in a village to the south called Kutamaji. So this community, they've been trying for a school for about 10 years. You know, during the rainy season, the road floods out. And as the road floods out, the littlest kids, they can't cross, or it's dangerous for them to cross. So they don't even go to school half the time. December, January, February, these little, these little kids aren't walking to Zolokere to go to school. They're just staying here, they're staying at home. So there really is a need for a school here. Jake had a big problem. His school project was in Kutamaji, but he was a member of the soccer team in Zolokere, and the two villages had a long and intense rivalry on the soccer field. Everyone loved to beat the Tony Bombers. They were always one of the strongest teams in the valley from one of the most powerful villages, and they had an American sponsor. Beating them was cause for celebration in the other villages. So what happened? They were shouting stupid words to Jake. They were saying he, he's not being respected. He's building school for free, but they're not respecting him. Jake was a target because he was an important member of the Tony Bombers, but also because he was living in the most powerful village in the valley. Zolokere was the home village of the subchief. The subchief was the highest ranking traditional leader in the area. Beneath him, there were headmen in each village, and beneath them were the regular people. The subchief had authority over a wide area of the valley, including Kutamaji, but the people of Kutamaji were from a different family and didn't like or trust the subchief. To punish them, the subchief never directed development efforts toward Kutamaji. Instead, all of the resources went to Zolokere or other villages in the area. Jake knew Kutamaji needed a school, so he decided to go around the subchief and build a school without his support. To do so, Jake had entered the traditional power structure and was interacting with the village headman in Kutamaji directly, bypassing the subchief. This should have ingratiated Jake to the people of Kutamaji, but for many of the people there, especially the young men, Jake was known first and foremost as a member of the Tony Bombers, which was their rival and a long-standing symbol of the subchief's power. Jake was in the middle of a very old, 
political fray. They come over, they want me to banish the guy. They're talking shit, the players, to me. At that point? Yeah, then? yeah, they came over and they're like, go ahead and fucking fix him up. White man or whatever. They were just talking shit, man. That's why I got pissed off. They come over and ask for help and they're talking a bunch of bullshit. Those are the people I want. I don't want to lose to that team. <laughs> we're not going to lose when we play Mwenembe. Jake was talking about Mwenembe, the team from Kutamanji that was chanting his name after the game. Many of the young men from Mwenembe refused to help with the school project because Jake supported the Tony Bombers. To them, Jake probably appeared wealthy and powerful, but his position was much weaker than it looked. He was running out of money for the school. He had $19,000 for the entire project, and because all of the money came through his friends and family in the States, he was personally accountable for the results. And to do the project, he was breaking Peace Corps' number one rule. Volunteers aren't allowed to drive. It's a safety rule. So if Jake were to be caught, they could send him home immediately. But a lot of the materials he needed to build the school, things like cement, nails, tools, and corrugated metal, all had to be trucked in from town two hours away. And the most important material was brick. It was the community's job to make the bricks and to carry them from the kilns to the construction site. I ran out of bricks. There's more there, but there's enough for that house. That's it. There's not enough bricks to build this building. The second building. So there was a real to-do, man, because they, like, they thought they were getting both buildings. And I, I originally came in and told them that that's what was going to happen. They still have in mind right now that I'm going to finish that building next year. But you don't have the funding. I don't have enough funding to do it. Right. Yeah. These people have wanted a school for 10 years. They've been writing letters for 10 years. There's kids. Wake up, wake up. That means, like, all over the place. Mm. Jake was smart. He'd learned the language and the function of the traditional system. But I wondered about the moral hazards of his participation. You know what I mean? I mean, that's like the classical colonial corruption. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, but I'm not here farming cotton or tobacco or tea. You know what I mean? I'm here working with a football team, farming tomatoes with them so they can make money for their club. I and mean, there's nothing in this for me. You see, what's in it for me is me learning about our relationship and me making a life with them. That's what's in it for me, you know? In terms of corruption, if I were putting money in my pocket, or if I were, you know, uh, doing business here or something like that, it would definitely be corrupt, you see? I'm just using what I know about their system so that we can do something together. That's what I'm doing. You can play the game, you know, that they play, or you can just put your hand up and say, uh-uh, I'm not going to do it. No? So in the beginning, that's what I did. I was harsh. I'm not going to do it. But little by little, I started to learn how to play the game. You know? Good morning, students. As the school neared completion, so too did the soccer season. The Tony Bombers' final game would be against their arch-rival Mwenembe. Oh, no, no, no. 
punching people for? Huh? What are you punching yeah, people for? Yeah, no, don't say that. What are you punching people for? You say I'm bullshit. What have I done? What have I done? I want to talk to the community. What have I done? The Tony Bombers won their final game, but finished the season in second place. Timwi wagasola ndichiuta Mwapa lirewa sanje kaopalicha Timwi wagasola ndichiuta Mwapa lirewa sanje kaopalicha My name is Sai Kukumbaker, I'm a filmmaker from San Diego, California. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Lithuania, and uh, I shot a feature film called Bush League. So Sai, I was wondering if you could um, tell me how you first met Jake. Jake and I first met in Chicago when, I forgot what it's called, that, that one-week thing that they do with you before you, you depart for Peace Corps. We were friends during training, but we, got, we, we really became friends later on when we, were, when we were assigned to our villages. We happened to be close to each other. We, happened to be about, we were probably about 50 miles apart. So, you know, we finished in Lithuania in the Peace Corps. I went to grad school. Jake went home to New Jersey. And a year and a half later, he rejoined the Peace Corps, and they sent him to Malawi. And um, I had the same, you know, everybody has the same problem when they're finishing those graduate programs, is that everybody's in debt from them. So you've, you've really only got, after school finishes, you have about six months to make something, because then the payments kick in. And so um, you sort of decided to do the film because, you know, you knew that the, the master's degree payments were going to be coming up. That's part of it, yeah. Part of my motivation was that I, I knew I had to make something quick. So that was one part of it. The other part of it was that I was still very actively processing my Peace Corps experience. This is, you know, three, four years after mm-hmm. I came back. And I wanted to, I think I just really wanted to tell a story about the Peace Corps as I understood it. And so as a, as a Peace Corps volunteer, when, when you came to see Jake on that third year you were making mm-hmm. the film, were you sort of shocked about the, the level at which he had integrated into the... Yeah, totally. I was totally shocked. Yeah, you have to, you have to figure by that time, Jake had actually been in the Peace Corps for five years because two years in Lithuania, and he was entering his third year in Africa. He was, he basically become a chief, you know, in many respects. He was, like, operating at that level of influence. Um, it was really shocking. Now, uh, in, in terms of your experience as a Peace Corps volunteer, you knew that volunteers were supposed to sort of remain neutral in a lot of respects, especially politically. Um, yeah, yeah, I knew that. But I also knew, like, the stories of Paul through, and I also had my own opinions. But see, I knew, I knew the, all the official rules, but, like, Jake, I didn't accept him. At that stage in my experience, I, I sympathized much more with what Jake was doing. I understood that he made a decision for himself about what he could do with his time and his resources in that place. You know, he could toe the line for Peace Corps, and if he did, the product would be, he would be very ineffective. But I would argue that, you know, as, as, as heated as it got um, at different moments, what he delivered in terms of impact is way beyond the boundaries of, like, normal Peace Corps activity. Yeah. This is something that, that I think would be difficult for people who didn't volunteer in Africa to understand, but just the the amount of political importance that's placed on the soccer team. If you just look at soccer uh, from like a geographical, physical point of view, if you're in a village, 
it's the only time you see the whole village, right? You can go to a bunch of different things, like sort of events or activities, but there's that's the only thing that happens where the whole village is there. So, you know, just that alone, you start to understand, like, oh, this is much more than just a game. It has all kinds of other functions. Every On the soccer field, every single time that there was an issue, the ref was never, the ref never had enough authority to simply make a call. A meeting would happen, and it'd always be the elder men would end up in a circle, and they have this really amiable, long conversation. It took forever for me to understand that what I was seeing was the deference, the implementation of the old system. Did you know, did you notice any other complications when you were there that came about because of his deep uh, integration? Oh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, he had lots of problems with the sub-chief, and they butted heads, and yeah, it's really, it's very complicated. You know, and in terms of him building a school, it created a lot of problems there, too, because without the sort of blessing of the powers that be, the school was all the more difficult to build. Yeah. I was sort of wondering, uh, you were were talking to Jake in the film about... uh, uh, corruption. And yeah. He got a little bit defensive, it seemed like. Well, I so, yeah, I mean, you know, as I was shooting Jake, I'd see these, these moments where if you just walked in the room, what you would think you, you were seeing, you would think you'd see, you, you would look like a person who was like in the heart of darkness story, corrupted by power. Yeah. Um, so what I knew as I was shooting it, at some point I had to force Jake to defend that that moment. Yeah. So it just meant that I had to confront him in an interview, and I had to basically ask him, like, look, you know, what it looks like is colonial corruption. What do you think about that? And the fact that he got mad is exactly what I needed him to do for the sake of the story. Yeah. You know? What Jake's going through is, I think, a very real part of the Peace Corps experience. You know, I have a moment in my Peace Corps experience where I I hit the breaking point. And it's not always pretty. That's all. I mean, that's that's it. That's it right there. Peace Corps is not a pretty experience. It's a deeply human experience that reveals in everyone your own flaws, your shortcomings, you know, all these different things. And it happens that we see Jake on camera in this sort of pivotal personal moment. And so that that interview where I sort of challenge him to talk about corruption is trying to sort of um, give context to the scene that precedes it. How do you feel about the Peace Corps' sort of non-interference mentality? In terms of, like, political engagement, um, Americans in these different societies play many, many different roles. And one of the roles that an American may play in certain societies is as an example of, you know, a person who's politically engaged. Yeah. If you think about somewhere like Lithuania, right, where we were, Lithuania has no tradition of protest because they were just under the Soviet thumb for too long. It means a lot when a person could come into your society with a tool set, a set of values, um, and a set of behaviors that you can see. Uh, I think that, that can be very meaningful. But I think the reality is that politics is always part of the human experience. And if you're going to put Americans in foreign countries, they're going to take their politics with them. It's, it's coming in, you know, we're trading stuff no matter what anybody says. Mm-hmm.
I really like this quote from Wikipedia about the prime directive. I wrote it down. Oh. Do you want to read it? Sure. I got this from Wikipedia. <laughs> so you know it's true. The Star Trek stuff, I, I clicked on Prime Directive, and this is what it said. Civilizations which are below a certain threshold of technological, scientific, and cultural development, preventing starship crews from using their superior technology to impose their own values or ideals on them. Yes. It's just like, don't get involved. Right, right. I mean, literally, I remember from the, from the episode, I mean, not from the episode, from the movie, it was like, we're just here to observe and yeah. learn. Yeah. There's no way. There's yeah. no, humans are too, like, dumb to like that's what makes it such an interesting idea in that it's impossible yeah if you get emotionally invested with right. another culture it's impossible for you to say i can't do it yeah so you could kind of see though like what you were mentioning like it's impossible to say we're just not going to help you can kind of see how jake after two years in this village that's getting everything could look at this other village that's getting nothing and the mm -hmm. only remedy is to do the one thing he's not supposed to do which is get involved in the local political structure Right, to make change happen. Um, so we also talked to a volunteer named Megan Juno, and she's the volunteer from the beginning of the show who joined Peace Corps specifically because of Star Trek. Uh, she was assigned to Nepal, and she was there during the recent earthquake and left the country with all the rest of the volunteers a few weeks ago. few like Star Trek nerds in my group I was a little amiss uh, confused by that because I thought more people would have been inspired by Star Trek to go into Peace Corps because if you think about it they're kind of similar like the Enterprise's mission was to like seek out new life and new planets and and Peace Corps is kind of the only thing you're going to get that's close to that you're going to go to another country and you're going to go try to help a population and not only that but you're going to learn about them so to me they kind of paralleled each other like their missions were similar did people think you were kind of odd for, for wanting to do it? or? I got a lot more of, oh, I could never do that, which I think I think most volunteers do. Uh, I've always been kind of an adventurer. Like, I've you know, lived around the U.S. and probably will continue to move around, and I did roller derby before I did Peace Corps, and so I'm always just kind of an extremist in, like, everything I do. So I was wondering if you could describe to me uh, what happened uh, during the earthquake. Sure. I lived about, uh, it was, for Peace Corps, it was about a two-day trip. If I were to go straight from my house to Kathmandu, it would have been about 15, 16 hours. So I was just sitting in my room watching a movie, and all of a sudden the house started to kind of shake back and forth. And I thought a tractor was going by outside, like a big tractor or a bus was going outside our house. I lived with a host family. And um, it wasn't until my oldest host sister, who's about 19 years old, popped her head out, and she kind of looked at me with this fear in her eyes, just like, that is an earthquake. And I was like, oh my goodness. So we ran out of the house. It was kind of weird too, because I thought it was just my region that was being hit by this. So I started texting the other volunteers and I was like, do you guys feel that earthquake? That was crazy. Uh, there was no damage to our house or anything like that. And then it wasn't until kind of the next morning when people had started calling and Peace Corps had started calling that I realized it was a hugely devastating thing. Uh, we had volunteers in Kathmandu and in those historic squares when the earthquake happened. Some of them could have gotten really hurt. We had a couple people who had to go through, you know, counseling immediately afterwards. They had to sleep in the embassy for a few days. 
And so it was when I bust back into Kathmandu and you saw like the houses that had collapsed and the search and rescue teams that were trying to like still pull bodies out that you saw just what, what a devastating deal it was. Um, and Peace Corps, you know, put the volunteers that were in Kathmandu and me in this really nice hotel. Um, but we were on the seventh floor of a hotel and you, aftershocks were just moving your bed back and forth all the time. I still feel aftershocks, like phantom aftershocks. My cat will jump off the bed, and I feel like the bed's shaking again in a way that makes me nervous, even though I live in a place where there's no earthquakes. But um, there's a mental, you know, kind of messes you up quite a bit, more than I think I ever would have expected. It's kind of a such a surreal yeah. like, thing, it sounds like, in that, you know, you're in you're in Kathmandu, and there's you're in this, like, you know, multi-story building that's very modern and just yep. outside, you know, there's people whose homes, their entire city has been destroyed and they have nowhere to go. It sounds like it yep. would be like very, you know, like be taxing on you for, from an ethical standpoint, I guess. It is. Um, and I think too, with a lot of the volunteers who are going back this week, I think they're going to be in a really hard position because uh, the trainee group that we had going at the time a lot of them were supposed to go to the district called Gorka, and Gorka was completely flattened, from what I can tell, from what I heard. So none of them are going to Gorka anymore. They all had to go get reassigned to different districts. And this has been the first sort of uh, major foreign aid disaster where the a lot of the questions have been like, how effective are you going to be as a volunteer going to Nepal, or are you just going to be in the way? Um, right. Uh, we have a ton of volunteers who want to go back and help rebuild, but that's not a thing any of us have been trained on. That's the other side of this. You also think you can help more than you might be able to. We don't know how to build. As far as I know, nobody in my groups know how to build a house. That's, you know, aid and emergency recovery is not something a lot of us have done. It's not something Peace Force trained us to do. So as much as you want to go back and help, I, f I don't know if necessarily going back with Peace Corps would be the right way to do it. Uh, Peace Corps very much, it sounds like, wants them to stay focused on their projects that they're supposed to be doing, such as the food security project. Um, so I, I feel like the volunteers are going to get really frustrated. I would if I was going back and I had to, you know, see all these houses that were cracked and falling apart knowing that I had to go teach people how to garden. How do you feel like you've changed after serving in Nepal? Um, I kind of... <laughs> To go back to the topic of Star Trek, I don't know if I would join the Enterprise anymore. So I feel like the Enterprise maybe has lost some glory for me. Like, I don't think it's as easy as they make it look on TV. Or it wouldn't be, should this be a real thing, it would not be easy to go from planet to planet and make connections and live in peace. How do you feel about Peace Corps in general? I think it needs some work. I'm not going to lie. I think it's still a really well-intentioned, really untouched program in America. But I feel like with the way the world is now, when you have so much access to technology, like my village, everybody had a cell phone, which was not something you would have had access to in even 10 years ago in Nepal. Mm -hmm. So finding better ways to utilize all this technology we have now and all these different ways we can participate in other countries, I wish Peace Corps would expand that more. I feel like there's just so much more we can do, but we're still stuck. They're still stuck in kind of the 1960s method of doing things. Yeah. Well, Megan, is there anything else you want to say or anything you want people to know? Uh, I mean, you know, along with the theme, I think if you're a big Star Trek fan and you really want to live that fantasy, I think I still think Peace Corps is as close as you're going to get to it. But, you know, be aware of the reality and the fiction of it are not quite the same thing. And you that, know, like, the, the experience is always going to be one of those episodes where you're grappling with the ethics of this situation, yeah. you know. It's not going to be the fun, happy episodes where Data is wacky. It's going to be the deep, you know, meaningful ones where Q shows up. 
and like questions humanity and makes you defend yourself. Yeah. For it. So how do you, what do you think about my, uh, the case I presented today about how Peace Corps is just like Star Trek? Yeah, it, it makes me think, and it's going to make me watch some Star Trek episodes, which I never thought I'd say or do, yes. personally. <laughs> well, you're in luck, because on the website right now on poshcore.com, I have assembled the top ten episodes of Star Trek that every Peace Corps volunteer should watch. Now, are these, like, your top ten? Or did, I, you, did you talk to other people? I did not consult any sort of study or <laughs> any kind of thing about which... Uh, this is like unofficially right. official. It is, it is definitely like I watched all the episodes of Star Trek <laughs> and selected the ones that were especially talking about the Prime Directive, especially about cultural interference, mm -hmm. about things like that. I focused on the next generation because I think the next generation is the closest to the Peace Corps experience and that most of what they're doing is cultural exploration. There's a lot of complex ethical questions. Though there is one episode of the original series, uh, and it is probably the one legitimately good episode of the original Ooh. series. <laughs> <laughs> Sections of today's podcast were from the film Bush League by Cy Cook and Baker. His film's going to be streaming for free on poshcore.com in the coming months, so be sure to look for that. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Poshcore, our Instagram at Poshcore, our Facebook page at Poshcore. And be sure to go to Poshcore.com. Obviously. That's where you can find all the Star Trek episodes. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. <laughs>